Uh, hello, everybody. We're delighted to have so many of you here. We've been very pleasantly surprised at the response on these on these uh, so-called so agents of impact calls. Um, I think it's a testimony to uh, folks' uh, desire both to connect and to, um, uh, to, 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 to get things done. Um, so we are happy to, 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 to play our role in that and we're delighted to, to have you all. Um, uh, we're gonna try something new in, in that regard. Um, uh, we're gonna leave this Zoom channel open. We've had the feeling in the last uh, few calls that, that, that so many great people come together and, uh, and, and, then we, and, then, and then split apart. And what we wanna do is see if, if folks wanna hang out, kind of like if you were at an event and you just hung out in the lobby afterwards. There's no kind of open space technology here other than, other than the basic Zoom call. So we're not gonna manage this in, 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 some, in some way, uh, except just to leave the Zoom uh, channel open. You can chat in the in the chat with folks. You can, if you if you do the drop down menu, as, you, as I'm sure you know by now in in Zoom, you can find the folks on the call um, and reach out, or you can just pop up in the audio. I'll kind of hover around and see whether there's any facilitation needed. But uh, but I'm gonna um, uh, basically take a step back at the hour. And if you have to leave, just feel free to leave. So uh, that's that's kind of our midpoint of of, of adopting open space technology. Um, the uh, Zulema talked about the Slack channel. That is, we, we have done something different again in, in, this, in the same in, uh, uh, interest of, of keeping folks connected. We've opened up uh, 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 10 in, uh, uh, Slack channels in the, in the spirit of 10X. Um, uh, Community Capital has, has, has had some activity, uh, system change and, and, um, and others. So uh, you can uh, go and you'll see if, if, you, if you read the brief, you'll, you'll, you'll have found many links to, to join up and, and, and select which channels you want to be part of. Um, let, let me actually, let me briefly introduce the folks who are going to be uh, speaking a little bit. And then I want to bring on my colleague, Amy uh, Cortese, just for a, for a moment. Um, uh, and, and she's going to help uh, uh, sort of guide the conversation. But maybe you, uh, when uh, I don't know, let's see if you I don't know whether you'll pop up on the screen or not. If I name you, you probably have to say something. But um, uh, I just want to say that we have uh, um, Bruce Katz uh, from from Drexel's Novak Center Metro Finance Lab. Um, maybe we won't worry about about whether you pop up on this on, the, on people's screen. Um, oh. Fran Siegel oh, from the U.S. Now, Impact Investing. Okay, there you go. Um, what I mostly want you to do is unmute yourself. So everybody, as I, as I call you, at least unmute yourself. So then when we get back to it later, we won't have that problem. Um, Fran Siegel from the U.S. Impact Investing Alliance. Uh, Beth Bafford from Calvert Impact Capital. Patrick Davis from the Community Reinvestment Fund. James Beeson from True Fund. Uh, Kat Berman from C-Note and Deborah Schwartz from the MacArthur Foundation. Oh, Darren Williams from, from Southern Bancorp. I hope I didn't miss anybody. And then um, there's many of you uh, on the call who are uh, as certainly more expert than me and, and perhaps as expert as, as our speakers. Um, and so we're very hopeful that as we open it up um, in the sort of second half of the hour, uh, you just pop up and 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 share your thoughts. And, and lots of folks on this call, I, I, I scanned the, the, the RSVP list are, are longtime practitioners and experts in in, um, in in community capital general CDFIs, community development financial institutions in particular. So we're 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 we're, we're eager to have your expertise as well. Um, just on that um, CDFI question, we, there was on the on the call yesterday on the MIE call, um, there was a bit of 
discussion about what a moment CDFIs are having in the current um, context. Amy, you want to come come on and, and and let's just let's just sort of set this up a little bit. Amy's been doing great coverage um, both of the PPP program and and a lot of the other channels as well as as well as CDFIs. Amy. Um, why do you think uh, you know community development financial institutions been around for thirty years? Why is this? Why is this the moment? Yeah, it's funny. I had a chapter Amy? in my book which came out in twenty eleven about CDFI. Am I not muted? Am I okay? Can you hear? No, no, you're good now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I was just going to say I had a chapter in my book that came out in 2011 about CDFIs. Um, can you hear me? Yes. Uh, okay. Um, so they've, they've been having okay. a moment for a long time, right? We all know the strong track record. <laughs> just let me know. Yes, yeah, you can hear. Okay. Um, but I think the COVID yes, crisis yes. Um, has exposed so many things and the vital role of CDFIs uh, being one of them. So, um, yeah, but I mean, I think most of us know they have a, you know, decades long track record and are really the um, vital infrastructure for uh, supporting small businesses. Uh, and Monique Aiken said yesterday, the new, new thing with a 30 year track record. So, um, uh, so there, there is, I think, possibly, and maybe this call can 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 help advance this a need um, to not quite rebrand, but possibly you know sort of elevate the brand. I don't know. CDFI doesn't quite roll off the tongue. Uh, maybe for folks on this call, it does, but uh, in the general public, so um, community capital. I don't know. We're, we're, we, that that's that's sort of a, 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 a subtext of, of this call of what how to create more of a popular constituency around this. Uh, notion of, 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 of community capital. Um, one last thing is, you know, we have had this kind of 10x challenge, um, which we cooked up a few weeks ago, and folks seem to be responding to it. Um, uh, we've gotten a little pushback that it's not just 10x capital, and we have, we fully embrace that. It's 10x speed, it's 10x collaboration, it's 10x, um, um, it's 10x depth, it's 10x impact. So, um, uh, 10x sharing, um, you know, you can take it however you like, but we uh, will be doing a series of, of calls in the future that are, you know, kind of framed around that, the, the notion being, you know, that the, the crisis is a, is a chance to really um, show uh, the world what um, uh, intentional impact investing um, can, can, can do. So with that, let's bring in Bruce Katz. Um, Bruce, welcome. Uh, we've been uh, reading and, 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 and learning from you for, for years, so we're very happy to have you on, on one of these calls. Um, and I was hoping you could give us a, the, the sort of overview, like how bad is it on Main Street for small businesses, for nonprofits, um, in particularly, you know, in, 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 in underserved areas, low-income areas, um, communities of color, uh, uh, women founders, just, get, I don't think we can start without knowing the depth of the crisis. Um, well, to tell you the truth, I'm not sure we really know the depth of this crisis, because what this crisis has done is exposed enormous deficiencies in data, 
in the kind of financial products, the delivery system, intermediaries, um, support for small business. You know, if you think about this crisis, and we're, we're now moving from the first phase, the rescue phase, you know, the health crisis and an economic shutdown to the beginning of a reopen and a restart phase, from a day-to-day -day basis, what do we have information of? We have information about filings for unemployment insurance. We have information about the health system, ventilators, masks, tests. The small business information is not real time. And so what, we what we're relying on really are surveys um, to get a sense of which part of small business, particularly face-to-face small business that have been uh, dramatically affected by this, particularly those that tend to con congregate in main streets and business districts and commercial corridors and downtowns. And that what we're now getting information, and this is why the CDF, CDFI conversation is so critical, we're getting information about the inadequacy of the federal relief packages that were constructed very fast. So if you think about the first CARES package and the Paycheck Protection Program or the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program, it's clear that those are delivered in such a way through mainstream financial institutions initially, that they tend to serve larger small businesses. Again, we define small business in the US as less than 500 employees, which is somewhat absurd um, because most people on the street would think less than 20. And so the way in which we delivered the capital initially um, underserved particularly black and brown owned businesses, which tend to be very small, do not have these traditional banking relationships and really rely on alternative lending institutions. So as that got fixed along the way, we're beginning to see the ability to serve this underserved set of businesses. Um, what we're also seeing as we move from rescue to reopen is we have to focus on small businesses and on the business districts where they tend to congregate. So the next package if and when it occurs, we're, we're in sort of this phony period of everyone's really waiting to see what happens with the restart. Are we going to have a spike in cases? Are we going to have, unfortunately, a spike in deaths in particular places that open prematurely? There's a lot of uncertainty out there, which is going to dampen the rebound of this economy. But I think as we move into the next phase, what you're going to see is the country focus on the loss of small businesses the death of Main Street in many parts of our communities, which are not just centers of commerce, but they're nodes of civic life, that they're really what draws people to particular places and it's the way we identify ourselves in different communities. And then I think the possibilities here is both to have a dramatic upsurge in the use of CDFI and alternative lending vehicles as this crisis begins to move forward, but also in different business models, collective business models, intermediaries that are basically bulked up at the Main Street level so they can provide common services, deep cleaning, technology access, back office functions around hiring and financial navigation. I think we're gonna come out of this crisis with a different kind of system for community capital and for community regrowth and community wealth building. So let me let me let me let me let me let me stop you and, and ask you what because I, the, the, that different system is is exactly what what we're we're interested. What have we learned from the efforts so far? The initial PPP 
um, about the system for uh, uh, distributing capital or getting capital or, or other resources into the into the into the all the way down to the to the businesses that need it. As you say, you know, most businesses are twenty or less, and 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 yet I think in the in the in the initial PPP, you know, the, a lot of the money went to the larger businesses. At the same time, the second tranche of PPP is not yet exhausted. I'm not quite sure why that is. What have we learned so far? And then I want to zero in on this new on this new system. Well, what we've learned primarily is that the ecosystem for small business less than 20 is very weak in the United States. We don't have the data that's real time. We don't have the support mechanisms to give individual entrepreneurs and business owners a clear sense of how to access capital. If you think about the US and ecosystems, we have very strong ecosystems on the tech side, right? Think about research institutions, mature companies, startups, scale-ups, angel seeds, series A, incubators, accelerators. On the small business, local serving side, very weak, very anemic. We don't have that support mechanism. So that's what's happening here. And because we relied on mainstream financial institutions, large banks to deliver the PPP product initially, some carve out and corrections there, very critical. They went to their favored um, you know, uh, folks they were working with. So the bigger small businesses basically were first in line when the PPP was rolled out. That's been corrected during the second phase of PPP, but essentially we've already lost a lot of businesses because they didn't have enough capital reserves and cash reserves to begin with. So, you know, politicians and many others mythologize small business in the United States. It's the engine of the American economy. It's basically the path to the American dream. There is no system in this country for basically providing particularly black and brown owned business with the kind of mentoring support, access to capital they need to move forward. So I think we're coming out of this understanding we're not just rescuing a bunch of businesses and hopefully many survive. We have to completely recreate every single aspect of the ecosystem going forward. Um, or else the notion of growing wealth in this country and reducing racial health income disparities is, is, is just gonna, is going to be delusional. What, what are the elements of this? I think you've called it a parallel system. What are, what are the elements of that system? You, 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 you hinted at it earlier, but what, what CDFIs are part of it, but what else, what else uh, is needed to, uh, to, to, re, to revamp that system? Well, again, I think most market systems are based on data that's real time, that enables you to understand all the disparate aspects of small business ownership and entrepreneurial dynamism, right? From sector to size, to scale, to consumer base, uh, whether it's local serving, whether it's within cities and metros, whether it has an export capacity. Um, our data systems have been found wanting here. Um, the last national survey of small business was done in 2012. That seemed to be a little bit um, you know, lagging here. So um, we, we are lacking for, again, a sector that is considered to be the engine of the U.S. economy with the kind of nimble data that we can use to understand which cities, for example, are moving forward on black and brown owned business, right? Why are they moving forward? Is it the intermediary system? 
Is it impact investors and their ability to test new financial products that are more equity-based than debt-based? What's the relationship of CDFI from a geographic coverage and the relationship with traditional uh, banks and other potential investors? So we're, we're dealing in a system which, you know, for a long time uh, has been really not the subject of serious academic research like in the housing sector. You look at the housing sector, um, academicians, primary lenders, secondary lenders, enormous amount of capital has been put into understanding how this system operates, particularly post 2008, 2009. Small business is almost like an emerging market in the US. It, it just is not treated seriously by anyone, frankly. And now to some, to a large extent, we are reaping the whirlwind of this. And so going forward, I think this is not just about the next product. This is not just about CDFIs becoming a larger part as they should of traditional capital, whether on the debt side or the equity side. I think we will not have an SBA in a year. I think it'll be a completely different federal ecosystem. If we're serious, we don't just need a department of pandemics. We need a radically new approach to small business lending, entrepreneurial dynamism, and reducing the wealth gap in this country um, through business ownership and expansion. So we're in for a very interesting ride here. And um, I think everyone on this call who's been in on this for a while, this is your moment, you know, because people have been playing in the vineyards for quite some time. And now suddenly it's front page news every day and will be even more as we reopen and, re and we find our main streets are at 30, 40% capacity of what they were prior to the crisis. Indeed, indeed. Well, thank you, Bruce. Um, uh, that cues up very nicely the role of policy, uh, which I think is another thing that has come to the fore uh, in the crisis. And um, we have some actual news uh, from, from, from even from yesterday um, uh, that, that bears very uh, directly on, on, on CDFIs and community finance in general. And, and um, I was going to rely on you, Fran, to, 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 to walk us through it because um, you've, been, you've been deep in it. But um, just give us the, the basic, the headline first and then, and then, and then the implications. Sure. Um, yeah, happy to talk about the Community Reinvestment Act, um, but also I should have given yeah, you, sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt. I should have given you a better introduction. Fran Siegel is the head of the U.S. Impact Investing Alliance, which is a is a is a convening organization um, headquartered at the Ford Foundation, but that it has been at the uh, forefront of of the kind of impact investing policy discussion. So I, I apologize for not having uh, brought you up uh, in, in, with a proper. Thank intro. you, Dave. That was sort of like a a, a family table, uh, you know, dinner time handoff, which I appreciate. Um, um, yeah, so I'd love to talk about the Community Reinvestment Act where um, a new set of regulations broke yesterday, but just um, to pull a thread through uh, from, from Bruce's comments, um, there was a really uh, great quote from Chairman Powell uh, recently, the loss of thousands of small and medium-sized businesses across the country would destroy the life's work and family legacy of many business and community leaders and limit the strength of the recovery when it comes. Um, there's a lot to talk about in terms of policy. I wanna uh, focus on CRA, but note that 
in the phase 3.5 stimulus package, there was a $60 billion carve out uh, in the PPP for community lending institutions, but most of uh, that money went to smaller commercial banks. So it meant that CDFIs, um, even if they were seven, eight lenders didn't get access to it. And there's a new $3 trillion HEROES Act put forth by the House Democrats, uh, which sets aside $10 billion of the remaining PPP funds to guarantee loans made by CDFIs and minority depository institutions. There's also a billion dollar uh, uh, proposal for the CDFI fund. So um, there's a lot, this is a moment for policy. And I think when you hear from Beth and Patrick later, um, we need to figure out ways that we can leverage policy and private capital through public policy uh, to get to the scale of capital that we need um, to, to, to serve some of the small businesses that, that Bruce was talking about. So as most of you know, on the call, the Community Reinvestment Act, CRA, was signed into law in 1977 um, in an effort to reverse the practice of redlining and, and disinvestment in low-income communities, especially communities of color. Um, since that time, the CRA has become really the cornerstone of community, the community investment ecosystem in the United States and has been particularly important to the CDFI industry, which grew rapidly over the same period. Uh, just to give a, uh, to put a fine point on it, Treasury Department did a 2017 study that found that 41% of capital for participating CDFI loan funds came from CRA regulated banks, significantly more uh, than any other source of funding for CDFIs. And this will come back again when Patrick and Beth talk about the community recovery vehicle where bank CRA capital can play a very prominent role in getting to scale. Uh, the CRA also interoperates with a couple of other existing frameworks, uh, the, and, and tax incentives, the low-income housing tax credit, new markets tax credits, which are two major community development tools where CRA-motivated banks are some of the largest investors. So suffice it to say that CRA is vital to communities, and the work of impact investors. Um, three, I'll, David, I'll make this <laughs> part short. Um, uh, there are three federal agencies that regulate CRA, the Federal Reserve, the FDIC, and the Office of Controller of the Currency, which um, regulates the national banks. Uh, so they each have a different piece of the pie and they all regulate CRA. And yesterday, headline, David, I'm bearing the lead, one of those agencies, the OCC, the Office of Controller of, of the Currency, moved unilaterally to finalize sweeping changes to the CRA program um, that we fear at the Alliance and, and many in the field uh, fear could undermine decades of work and billions of dollars in badly needed community investment uh, of, of community investment capital. Um, so we believe that the CRA needs to be updated, but not in this way. It's important to note that the OCC won it alone um, and uh, around their regulations, the FDIC didn't finalize regulations along with the OCC. And notably, the Federal Reserve has completely sat out this uh, round of, uh, of, of, of changes. We issued formal comments, but it's important to know that the, the time between the end of the public comment period and the final regulations, which came out yesterday from the OCC, was just six weeks. It's also interesting to note that a day after those uh, sweeping changes came out, uh, controller Joseph Odding, who runs the OCC, resigned his position. One of my colleagues uh, called it a, the consummate drop the mic moment, um, and indeed it is. But the lack of interagency alignment, so the regulators are, uh, in the worst case scenario, they'll all be 
propagating different sets of regulation creates problems for the banks. It creates problems for communities. And uh, we're, we're really um, uh, concerned about it. So the Alliance, the organization that I lead, will continue to work with policies at the Fed and at the FDIC to offer input on a set of regulations that ideally will promote authentic community engagement with residents and low to moderate income communities and uh, will effectively draw uh, private capital to those places. What this really means is that the OCC has propagated this rules, these rules that will have national banks, there's sort of a, an incentive because of the, of the, of the rules, um, encouraging them to pursue a fewer number of larger deals. And we believe the effect will be driving capital away from CDFIs, particularly smaller CDFIs, rural CDFIs, ones that serve tribal communities, and uh, again, draw um, capital away from the more, the smaller, more impactful activities that communities depend on to do these kind of easier, larger deals, sort of like what, you know, Bruce, Bruce said earlier that on the PPP, the big banks lent to folks that they knew where they could shovel out, um, you know, large PPP deals, and we worry that um, the OCC, who regulates, again, the national banks, this, there will be a heavy, heavy incentive to do larger deals, smaller deals, and this can be very deleterious to the CDFI uh, sector and the communities that they serve. Great. Thank you, Fran. You can all see why we rely on Fran to keep us uh, straight on the policy issues. Thank, thank you. And um, I imagine folks can, can reach out to you to get involved uh, in, in, the, in the efforts. Um, so, so thank you very much. Um, you. Um, Amy, join me uh, in bringing on, um, let's bring on Beth, uh, Patrick, and, and, and James to, together, um, because they're sort of a, they're sort of, they sort of come as a package. Um, uh, and maybe you can help them walk through this model, which in a sense um, responds to some of the things that Bruce and Fran have been raising um, about how to strengthen the, the CDFI channel. So, so Beth, um, uh, maybe, the, maybe the first thing is to just um, describe what the problem you were trying to solve and then we'll get to what the solution is. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think as, as has been mentioned, um, you know, the, the, the problem is, is that there is a alternative uh, financial system that exists um, with in the kind of community lending, community capital, CDFI space um, that is built and has been built for a long time to serve uh, communities who otherwise cannot access capital, um, mostly credit, uh, through the banking system. Um, that system, that, that alternative financial system um, has a lot of critical strengths. Um, it has deep roots in these communities, uh, led by people from these communities, uh, has the trust of the communities that they serve, which I think cannot be understated. Um, a lot of these communities have been, uh, for lack of a better term, screwed over by the financial system for a long time. Um, and, uh, and, and really need to go to trusted sources when thinking about their ability to either as a consumer or as a business to access capital um, to, to go forward. And so um, there's a lot of strengths of, of these organizations um, that, that James leads and Darren and others um, uh, that are on the ground and have been serving uh, low-income communities and communities that exist outside of the financial system uh, for decades, as, as has been mentioned. Um, I think the issue uh, has been is that the, you know they are essentially um, 
they're essentially providing a public good, but have not had access to the necessary resources over the last decades to invest in themselves um, to um, capitalize on that public good. So, um, or, or to, to kind of to gain access to the resources that reflect the fact that they are providing a public good. Um, the business model is tough, uh, right? Like if you are providing a $10,000 loan to a small business, um, that takes a significant amount of time, resources, technical assistance, capacity, uh, systems, technologies, um, that is not gonna be made up by the interest on that loan unless you are charging a, you know, usurous rates. And so the business model is hard for this kind of lending, um, which is why I think there's a need for uh, you know, a much more coordinated, scaled, much larger thinking around um, how these organizations are resourced um, to, to Bruce's point earlier. Um, um, but within the, the, the system that we're talking about, you know, what, what are the, the, the problem we're trying to, to solve is how do you take these incredible organizations, 1,100 CDFIs across the country, um, and how do you, in this moment, in the near term, um, leverage their strengths and abilities to the highest possible um, uh, amount. And I think there's three things that we need to do to do that. One is to free up existing balance sheet room. Um, these balance sheets are um, small and fragile in a lot of places, especially right now, given that the, the, the assets that they're lending to have, are going through you know, severe economic strain. Um, so we need to, to, to free up and, and strengthen the, their balance sheets. Um, we need to leverage every dollar of room on their balance sheets. So we need to think about leverage beyond, um, beyond what they can do on their own. Um, and then we need to invest in operations and make sure that they have the operational capacity and resources um, to scale up you know, originate, loan origination, systems, processing, servicing, uh, technical assistance, all of the operational aspects of, of what a CDFI needs to, to execute on. And so what we're doing in partnership with many on this call and many others in the field is trying to see what role can we play um, as, a, as a collaborative um, and within the private markets to, uh, to, to kind of turbocharge the CDFI infrastructure, those pipes, and, and kind of reach, get them to reach their max capacity um, to get anywhere near the demand that we, we know exists in these communities across the country. Um, but what we're doing, um, and, and I'll, I'll turn to Patrick to describe what we're, what we're talking about, but what we're doing has its limitations, right? We are working right now in, in, within the, the private markets and what can we as organizations do without legislative action to, uh, to, to boost capacity and, and to raise money from the private markets to get this uh, uh, money flowing down to these businesses ASAP. Um, but we are also trying to figure out uh, how to make sure government is a partner in this work um, because scale cannot happen without them. So I think we, we recognize that limitation and, and it's why we've been working with Fran and others um, to, you know, and Bruce and to, to understand, you know, how we can put these two pieces together. Um, the second limitation or, or consideration is that what we're talking about right now is, is around small business assets. We know, like Bruce said, that is only one type of community asset that needs to be served right now. Um, and that CDFIs serve many other asset types as well that make up that Kind of community fabric, um, affordable housing, uh, community facilities like schools, uh, community centers, health centers, um, you know, the, the built environment of our communities is also uh, served by CDFIs and needs to be a part of this equation. If we're going to, to leave our houses, go back onto Main Street and have it look anything like 
uh, what it looked like before we all uh, were, were forced to stay at home. And so I think that's a, just another kind of limitation of what we're thinking about. I think the structural elements can convey mm -hmm. uh, to other asset types, but certainly something that we um, you know, understand uh, as we're thinking about these solutions is this is one, one tool, another tool to put in the toolkit um, of a much broader conversation that, as Bruce mentioned, um, needs to be happening around um, how do you rethink uh, the support and resources that are uh, poured into these communities so that we can create something much bigger and much greater than the sum of its parts. Um, and so with that, I'll, I'll turn it over to Patrick um, to describe uh, what we've been working on together. Um, and, and James would love your views as well. Thanks, yeah, let, let me just jump in and give Patrick a little intro. I'm Patrick Davis with um, Community Reinvestment Fund in Minneapolis. And Patrick, you've really, you're a CDFI, but you've really also um, stepped up to this role of service provider almost for other CDFIs. So you're kind of, you have a lot of the infrastructure that could help um, expand the capacity of the whole field. So talk a little bit about that and your, your part in um, this new vehicle. Yeah, thank you, Amy. Um, so I think just a couple of quick remarks. One, um, you know, I heard the, um, we need to 10x collaboration, we need to 10x all of these things. I think in the CDFI world, one um, sort of hopeful note, I think we're, we've maybe 5x collaboration over the past 90 days. Maybe there's another five to go. Um, but we've seen some really fantastic examples of um, rapid collaboration that um, I, I'm not sure that CDFIs have always been fast to move in the past. And, and we've seen a, a departure from that in order to respond to the needs. So that's been fantastic. I mean, with respect to the PPP lending, um, you know, CRF has a, a national SBA license. We realize there are several other CDFIs around the country that um, don't have expertise in CDFI lending. We have sourced and deployed $500 million in PPP loans directly from our CDFI partners around the country. I saw we have friends from IFF on the line here. Um, it's been really inspiring to work with uh, CDFIs who have strong relationships in local markets and can refer those customers to us to actually originate the loan, but can play a role on the front end in terms of pre-loan technical assistance to get them prepared for the PVP loan. So um, I think that's a really concrete and fantastic example of collaboration in the space that's starting to emerge um, that maybe was somewhat lacking before. So, um, and then in addition to that, I also want to note that, um, you know, it's not just CDFIs. Um, we need to create this very robust ecosystem that should include um, development finance agencies, quasi-public institutions, um, community banks and credit unions. There's a, there's a much broader community here that perhaps has been fragmented in the past that really needs to consider how to be better integrated going forward in order to provide the types of capital and the scale of capital that's gonna be required. So just wanted to make that point. Um, Amy, to your remarks, I think um, CRF has absolutely been probably more focused on our role in providing infrastructure, um, providing access to uh, uh, shared services for other CDFIs um, in the moment that we're in now than we have been on our own direct lending. Um, and that's really intentional. And so CRF has spent uh, the better part of the, the past five years, uh, really building infrastructure that we think can link 
community development finance organizations together. Um, and, uh, and so in, in a way that presents the preconditions for scale. So one of the issues that we've seen in the past is uh, just nobody knows what a CDFI is. And we're all, we all know this issue, right? Uh, CDFIs are, I think would be the first to say, we're not the best marketers. Uh, we don't tend to invest in marketing. Um, it's sort of the, the last thing that, that, that gets taken care of in the annual budgeting process. Um, so at the same time, we've looked at some of the data from you know, the Fed Small Business Credit Survey and we've seen some phenomenal things. So in, in the 2018 credit survey, um, CDFIs ranked number one in lender satisfaction scores above um, credit unions, above large banks, above certainly above online lenders. Um, they ranked number one in approval rates uh, for loan applications, but they ranked uh, really at the bottom of the barrel in terms of loan applications by orders of magnitude. So to us at CRF, that says, there are these phenomenal but, uh, but really unknown uh, community development lenders around the country. Um, how do we get them exposed to the businesses that really need to be seeking their services and their products? And so one of the things that we created to address that at CRF is called Connect to Capital, which is a marketplace of responsible lending products that are offered by uh, CDFIs and other community development organizations. And so that creates a single front door for a small business owner uh, to apply and then get pre-qualified for one or many uh, CDFI products that meet their need. Um, and so that really reduces this problem of information asymmetry and allows us a centralized place to, to market the products and the offerings of CDFIs um, and to pursue things like um, you know, unprecedented referral relationships with large hundred plus, hundred billion dollar plus OCC regulated banks that are looking for a responsible mission aligned uh, uh, alternative for the customers that they're not able to lend to directly. So I think this, this idea of really bringing together some infrastructure to knit the CDFI community together in a way that creates the, that, that network effect and that power and uh, the ability for us to negotiate in a different way than we have in the past with other potential partners, referral partners, or, or what have you. So I think that's one critical piece on the front end in terms of addressing kind of how do we find the proper customers. Um, assuming we're enormously successful in that, uh, now we got to address the, the loan operation side of things. And so how do we make sure that CDFIs have a modernized loan operation system um, that allows them to scale up and meet the need uh, and realize economies of scale without having to hire a ton of new people, without having to... So how do we look at um, the back office of CDFIs? And then it's not just the origination process, but from there, loan servicing, same thing. How do we start to realize economies of scale in loan servicing? Um, and then on the, on the back end, how do we now, if we introduce some standardization to the field, it creates opportunities to open up new sources of liquidity. So if we have CDFIs that are originating a suite of standardized products, um, we can pool those products, we can uh, offer participations to investors. We can create funding vehicles that can then support um, the deployment of those products at scale that can include uh, both public and private investors. And so it's really that mechanism, uh, that standardization, all the way from sort of the front end, finding the customers uh, through the loan origination process, 
through the servicing process and then attaching that funding mechanism to, to this sort of more standardized apparatus um, that we think creates the preconditions for scale. And Patrick, we've, we've taken that. Patrick, I just was going to break in to, to try to move it to this thing that we promote in the, in the brief all week. Um, and that, 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 that hopefully we can just very crisply and, and simply lay out the, the, the community recovery vehicle that you piloted in, in Chicago and that you're now trying to, to, to ramp up more broadly. So um, without, uh, again, you know, people are on the, on the questions I noticed are asking, like, how can um, different kinds of investors get involved? What kinds of capital is needed? If you can very kind of simply in, 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 plain, in plain terms, just say what the possible solution here that you guys have been designing is. Absolutely. So the model uh, really came to life first in Chicago, this sort of recovery type model. Um, and it, it's really all of those elements I just discussed. So multiple local originating CDFIs, uh, taking applications through a single front door where we're aggregating then the data, which is a huge component. I mean, Bruce, that was you know one of the areas I think you were looking to address. Taking all of those applications through a front door created a standardized loan product that all of the CDFIs have agreed to originate. Um, and then on the back end, uh, developed a, a special purpose vehicle that then was purchasing the loans from the CDFIs and to Beth's point, uh, mitigating any additional pressure on their balance sheets, but allowing them to continue to lend. So that's really the core model is introducing the standardization, introducing a way for uh, investors to participate on the back end as a result of the standardization, and then introducing a single easy a delightful customer experience for the small business on the front end in terms of applying and being matched to one of those local originators. That's really great. the core of it, David. Great, and, great. And David, I wanna, I can, sorry. Beth, before we do that, I want to come back to, to you, but let's just bring in James for a little bit of a reality check of the real world of CDFI lending. Um, James, are you uh, unmuted? I am. Um, uh, you know, you, just, just tell us briefly, like, what you are seeing among your borrowers and then also what your capacity constraints are that that might be eased by some of these some of these ideas. sure sure thank you bruce so um i'll begin by you know commenting on patrick's uh statement with regard to our ability to do marketing uh, um, that is a luxury that cdfis do not have um, we are in typical not-for-profit mode um, every day trying to fundraise uh, to make sure that we have the capital available to provide the much needed support these small businesses who are fragile need, particularly those small businesses of color. And so many of the financial institutions kind of align themselves with um, capital that they can demonstrate impact, which means loan capital. Our balance sheets, our expense base to be able to provide these services just cannot support that level of capital. We need um, other forms of capital that can support the CDFI effort. So I wanted to, you know, kind of can, make a point just, there. Sure. Can I just break in, James, because this has come up a few times, and I'm not sure that folks understand it. And I always say as a journalist, you know, explain it to me so that, that I can explain it to others. But this balance sheet problem. So literally, you can't support the more loans because as a nonprofit, you don't have what on your balance sheet? Enough 
you don't have equity because you're a nonprofit, right? That's correct. So the net assets is really kind of the driving indicator about your leverageability. And so from a very healthy perspective, when you start to get leverages that, you know, are south of, you know, four to one, five, I mean, you become so diluted and lenders become concerned about that as well. So your limitations is there. So the net assets and the equity component um, is really a restrictive um, component of our platform. I will add particularly, if, if I will here, Bruce, in this context, when we're talking about the, uh, the small businesses and communities of color, um, we know, and to one of the comments earlier about data, that FEMA knows, and FEMA statistics, and you guys are probably all familiar with that, through disasters, 40% of those businesses never reopen. And the 60% that do, um, and two years later, only one third of them are, remain open. And so you can overlay that with communities of color, small businesses, owners of color, and I would tell you that that number is even more um, disparate. And so there's a double-edged sword there, and I'm getting back to the balance sheet question. There's a double-edged sword there in that we lend to these small business owners that we're talking about. They're on our balance sheet. And so in this crisis where we're seeing availability of capital and small grants to support TA and related things, the real essence um, and support that's really needed for CDFI is give us shock absorbers on our balance sheet because in fact, we've been lending to those borrowers. And if those stats come true, our financial health will be at jeopardy. So it's both your borrowers and then it's also yourself. And again, do, do you, if, if you had more balance sheet capacity and you could make more loans, do you have borrowers who could take advantage of that capital, reopen their businesses, rebuild their, 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 their own revenues and presumably repay you as well? I mean, is there, is there, is there a business here for you? Yeah, CDFIs, um, and I think it's come to light here, have historically paid a very valuable role in underserved communities. We get the trust. We know those communities. We walk the streets. We know those bars. They know us. There's a trust factor that exists um, well beyond what a traditional financial institution can provide for them. The um, challenge there is that um, from a capacity standpoint, we've not invested in our infrastructure. So the demand is there. And now that we're getting it, and so now I'm finding myself trying to figure out, okay, I got to enhance my systems. I need new, new delivery mechanisms. It's not necessarily bringing our staff. How more efficient can we become as a CDFI? The demand and need is there. Our ability from a CDFI perspective, given our historical state and given the magnitude of this, in, this, this disaster, um, is really stressing us from a capacity level. Look, the PPP program, while it started out you know, pretty robust, we're seeing now, because the window is still open, the dollar amount of those loans have come down substantially, but the volume has increased. And so you've got to fund and you've got to close these. And so when you're processing, you know, 200 loans um, and you've got to have the capacity around making sure they close and get funded, is stressing the organization. And so that's, that's a good example there I wanted to share with you. Great, great. Beth, you want to just re recap a little bit about what the, this capital stack that you guys have been designing and what, what kinds of capital um, can, can, can play in it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and just to, to put a fine point on, on this balance sheet issue, because it is, it is critical. Um, traditional banks um, get deposits. Those deposits, they can leverage 10, 20 times to do new lending in communities. Um, CDFI loan funds that are not banks um, don't have deposits and so rely on their equity, their net assets, to leverage new lending in their community. That can, because they are nonprofits, they cannot go to the market and raise equity. 
So they have to get that money either through retained earnings, which means profit, which means which a lot of them don't have because they cannot lend at rates that give them a profit, or through grants from either a foundation or the government. Um, and those, as we all know, are, are limited. Um, and so that is the only way they can raise equity. And once they do raise that equity, they can only leverage that two or three times, unlike a bank who can leverage it 10, 20 times, as I mentioned, um, because of restrictions from their lenders on how much equity they need to hold on their balance sheet against the loans that they raise. So when we talk about balance sheet constraints, what we're talking about is that the dollar that is provided them in loan capital just doesn't go far enough to meet anywhere close to the demand that we're seeing in the market right now. If you take CRF's ex experience in Chicago, CRF and Axion's experience in Chicago, they got 11,000 applications from businesses for more than $300 million just from small businesses in Chicago with fewer than 50, uh, uh, 50 employees. If you extrapolate that nationally, the need is at least $20 billion. The CDFIs out there, like TrueFund and others, that, right? the average balance sheet size of a small business lending CDFI is around $20 million. So that's you know, the, the capacity that they have. So if you put another million dollars on the balance sheet of, a, of, of TrueFund, they can leverage that maybe two times, maybe three times. Um, it's not gonna come anywhere close to, no offense to TrueFund, they're doing incredible work, but not anywhere close to the demand that we're seeing in the market for this kind of access to credit from small businesses. And so we have to think differently. We have to think beyond the balance sheet of these organizations if we're going to get anywhere close to meeting the access to credit needs um, that we have right now. Um, and to be honest, that we've had for decades, right? These communities have had access to credit gaps forever. Um, it's just ex exacerbated as businesses with no cash reserves are trying to uh, comply, comply with new federal regulation around or state regulation around um, PPE needs and layouts and um, and you know, hand washing and you know, store washing mechanism, all these things that take money to invest in to reopen. And then they're gonna be coming into a recovery period where their revenues are not gonna get back up to quote unquote normal for a long time before people are allowed to, you know, feel comfortable going out likely toward till after we get a vaccine. And so that means that if those businesses do not have access to credit, um, they will not be able to retool, they will not be able, be able to reopen and they will not be able to recover. And so I think that's what we're trying to, to think about. How do you think to think much differently about scale? Because we know the demand is there. We know the need is there. We know the pipes are there, but we have to, to provide new tools to, to leverage those pipes. And so what let, me, let, me, let me stop yes. you there and, 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 and just give a, I, let me give my, my try at, at, at this because I've been, I've been looking at it over the last week as we've been talking. So this new recovery vehicle will buy the loans back buy the loans from the CDFIs, thereby taking it off their balance sheets to resolve the problem you've been talking about, letting them then make new loans. And then this entity will hold the loans in a way. And this entity, the community recovery vehicle, could be scaled up uh, quite extensively, will operate, as Patrick was describing, as a national network. Um, so therefore, instead of having to solve the balance sheet issues for each individual CDFI, you're solving it more at a national network level and that what it's needed and this is this is the part i wanted to make sure everybody understands is there's a certain amount of risk capital call it equity or, or first loss guarantees or what have you at the bottom that is a kind of a catalytic capital uh, deborah uh, uh, schwartz from macarthur is, a, is our catalytic capital expert should come on in, in a moment um 
there's a sort of junior debt, uh, sort of um, lower risk, but also lower return uh, in the middle, and then a, a kind of more regular commercial bank, maybe CRA kind of money at the top. So there's a nice capital stack, needs some, some catalytic capital, could be, could be foundation, could be public in, in Chicago, yeah. I believe it was the city. Yeah, well, I have I that say, essentially right, and, and I, I do want to bring in the, the other folks before we before we run out of time here. So um, if if that's close, let's 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 save the go, the, go the, the details. Okay, I appreciate it. Sorry, Cat um, uh, Berman. Quickly, I think C Note um, has been uh, a leader in trying to expand the capital available to CDFIs, um, and also I think in, in in trying to collect data on 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 how it all works. Are you are you off mute, Cat? I am off mute. Yep. Um, just you know, how does this how does this 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 system how does C Note uh, plug into this system? Yeah, I mean, I, first of all, I can't echo um, and support more everything that's been said today. Specifically, I think there's three themes: um, the theme of intentionality. Let's all be clear, dollars are not getting to the communities that need it the most, and so that wealth gap that we stepped into is being exacerbated in our very eyes, in front of our very eyes. I think second is the need for infrastructure, right? Um, whether it's marketing, the back end, great connected capital work that the CRF is doing, and the front end as it relates to better connecting to investors, all that is critical if we're really going to get to that third piece, which is scale. And I think it's been said in many different ways, there's outsized demand happening right now. So how do we really address that thoughtfully? Um, our role at CNote has always been technology. So having been big fans of the CDFI industry and really wanting to see this 30-year-old proven industry um, get to the level of import and um, investor interest and access that it deserves. Um, for us, it's about building the technology pipe. So we've spent several years, as you know, um, really creating that backend infrastructure to make it easier for investors to identify CDFIs, support CDFIs, basket CDFIs by place or by theme, but most importantly, just the tech to make it easier at scale. And so I think um, when we think about where we're all moving collectively, um, this effort brings in that necessary discussion around balance sheet limitations, as well as I would say this secondary conversation that's as expanding new investor bases, right? We've traditionally looked at government and uh, foundations as some of the critical uh, investor bases for CDFIs, and I think it's time that we expand that, right? If we're talking about an equitable and a scalable recovery, this is a role each of us has to commit to playing, and that means communications, that means donor advised funds, that means individual impact investors, it pretty much means everyone on this call. And so how do we step into this and really support this industry at such a critical time? So we think certainly collaboration is a key piece, but also data, transparency, and building those scalable pipes um, is a necessary part of it. Terrific, terrific. Um, I hope you can stick around. As I said, we're going to keep keep the Zoom ch ch uh, line open. Um, but I do want to bring in uh, uh, Darren uh, Williams from uh, Southern Bank Corp. Darren, are you on? I am. Thanks, David. We made you an agent of impact a few weeks ago because you guys were heroic in scaling up um, as, as many CDFIs. You actually were sort of the, the, the poster child, if, uh, as it were, for, um, for the CDFIs that, that really uh, worked uh, uh, very hard, very quickly to get the PPP loans out. Um, and I know there, that there's nuances about for-profits and not-for-profits, but basically, what are you seeing in terms of being able to, to really ramp up and, and, and meet the need? Yes, yeah, so thanks, thanks, David, and thanks for uh, making Southern an agent of impact. So just to be clear, there are a number of different CDFIs, and so, so what you've spoken about, most of the day are, are loan funds, 
and that makes up the majority of the CDFI market. We are we have a CDFI loan fund. We also have a CDFI bank and bank holding company. And what I'm going to talk about is the CDFI bank. We are regulated just like any other commercial bank in America, uh, and we have uh, different sources of, of 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 access to deposits, as you talked about, to be able to lend. So, what we've seen in our market, we represent. Um, we, we serve the Arkansas Mississippi Delta, one of the most persistently poor communities of all the United States, where it's been generational poverty uh, that's been backed by longtime um, slavery that's caused the income inequality in the communities that we serve. But in these markets, we've done over 1,200 uh, PPP loans um, and for a total of about $110 million. Uh, the smallest PPP loan we've done is $200. The largest is about 4.9. Um, uh, 4.9 million in round one. Uh, we actually we actually made our first PP loan the day the program opened when big banks were saying, we don't know what's going on, we're not doing it. We did not limit ourselves to not to, uh, just our customers. We continue to, to accept applications. We're getting about 10 a day. Uh, the volume has completely uh, dissipated, which compared to what it was earlier. Um, but you know, our average loan size here in round two has gone down tremendously. Uh, Average is about is about forty four thousand dollars, and that's with the, with a couple of big, really big loans. For the last say three hundred PPP loans we've done, the average loan size has been less than fifteen thousand dollars. And and round one where we did five hundred and fifty three PPP loans, uh, over seventy five percent were for businesses that had less than twenty five employees. Uh, and and so and I mean we were you know the the vast majority three hundred thirty six of that five three for, for were for businesses that had less than ten employees. So we think we're reaching the very, very small businesses uh, that need access to this capital. Uh, and it's been the lifeline. It's been the life, lifeline for, for these uh, small businesses, for the, for the um, employees that now can, you know, pay rent, can, 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 can buy, 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 I'm sorry, buy groceries. So it's, it's been a, um, a tremendous benefit for these, these communities. We're now concerned about the rebuilding stage, as, as some have talked about, uh, as, we, as we move forward, because the PVP really is a way to keep your employees working. It's not necessarily a way to keep that business open. Uh, so there are going to be challenges for our, for our bars as we move, as we move to it toward this rebuilding stage. Terrific. Um, uh, let's just, uh, we're at the top of the hour. I hope you can, I hope you can stay on for a few more minutes. Um, uh, 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 De Deborah Schwartz, you get to, 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 to bat clean up here. Um, you've been involved with the CDFI movement for, for a long time. Um, been very uh, helpful to me in, in, in understanding it. Um, what 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 are your takeaways and what, what people seem to be asking on the questions are what can impact investors do now so if you could frame it in the sense of like what where you know where can people take action right um, this is an amazing experience and thank you uh, David Dennis and Amy for uh, bringing uh, such an incredible group together but I'm watching the little number count by participants on the bottom of my screen and we hit we hit one minute from the top of the hour and then like I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Deborah. So, <laughs> yeah. It's very dramatic. I feel like I'm playing some kind of weird video game. So, um, so I, and I have to get on another call. So I'll offer a few thoughts. First, I want to really thank everyone that did um, share their perspective. It was fantastic to hear Bruce um, framing things as he always does in an incredible way, very cogent, pretty alarming, uh, but also a kind of rousing call to action in some ways. Um, I want to just, you, because you asked me to share takeaways, David, um, there were sort of five things that I, that I heard all under a big umbrella of reinvention, reinvention and rethinking. So I think that really came through. 
and and the, I think Bruce it was said it's not just about products; it's reinventing. We heard people talk about in, integration as one thing. We have to figure out how CDFIs integrate better to other parts of the economic development ecosystem. A second thing was collaboration, and Patrick really called out something that's been very visible to us to see all of the rapid part partnering that's gone on among CDFIs. So integration, collaboration, infrastructure was another thing I really heard again and again. And James, you talked about how it's tough to try to retool that infrastructure on the fly. And Beth, I know I've heard you talk about um, infrastructure systems and Bruce, you mentioned that as well. And I was really intrigued by the idea of some kind of future where CDFIs are helping uh, small businesses, their back offices together and find, just reinventing what infrastructure looks like for all of this. Um, so the other piece is policy, which, you know, Fran helpfully um, put on the table and that we can't ever, ever forget because if we really want to get to scale, we must have um, a policy piece that works. And um, I think my last item is data which is where we kind of started. And I think that just can't be understated. 20 years ago, MacArthur and Ford and the Treasury Department funded something called the CDFI Data Project. And its whole purpose was to try to help us understand what was going on in this field so that we could advocate more effectively for funding and other kinds of policies. Um, I think it's still very challenging to put our arms around um, the story. So Darren's got amazing data on what Southern is doing with PPP, but do we know, for example, what the total volume is of PPP loans originated by CDFIs? I'm not sure that we do. Um, just hearing this conversation and knowing things about our own portfolio, I know it's at least a billion, but I don't know if it's two billion. And, I, and we don't know exactly who they were reaching but we know anecdotally they were reaching the businesses that mainstream banks were leaving behind. So um, data, I think, is going to be a huge part of the future. And as far as where impact investors go, um, I would just leave with this thought. Um, catalytic capital, which you mentioned, David, uh, is a way of doing impact investing that makes a lot of sense when the world is totally uncertain and full of risk. Um, that's what it was built for, to be flexible, to take risk, to be patient because we are going to have to have long horizons for our lending and our investing. Um, it can be used to seed things. So the pilots in the different cities need catalytic capital to seed them. It'll be needed to scale uh, organizations during this period and CFIs are doing more than ever. Um, and I think the other thing which Beth flagged is it's needed to sustain. The business model of CDFIs as we have it leaves a gap. It costs more to deliver the high touch fill in the gap loans than you can earn from the interest income. So um, that's why we have the CDFI fund. That's why we need policy. Um, so, cause impact investors by themselves don't actually represent enough scale to do that sustaining work. That's gotta come because this is a public good um, as Beth uh, said so aptly. Um, and the last thought I would just leave with is, it's one thing it's kind of easy to lose sight of in all of this CRA, securitization, all our different kinds of things. We are talking about institutions. 
CDFIs are institutions and they become the backbone of communities that they serve. And building institutions is a long process. It doesn't happen overnight. And as you said at the beginning, and Amy, I understand you said, you know, this is this overnight success that was 30 years in the making. MacArthur, Ford, we started investing in CDFIs in the 80s and 90s. Southern, um, IFF, CRF, Calvert, LISC, lots of CDFIs. And it took not just our investments, but many, many other investments and long years of leadership to build the systems and build the institutions. And that's why they could deliver on PPP like this. You know, if, if Southern hadn't already been built, they wouldn't have been able to turn on the spigot on day one because you couldn't build that capacity in one day. They had to be there for the long haul. So I hope, if anything, impact investors will take that long-term horizon and that institution building perspective to heart because that's what we're gonna need as we go through this whole next wave. And I'm, I'm hopeful because there are some big ideas here to reinvent and to make things a lot better. So if we can crack the equity nut on CDFIs, that'd be pretty exciting. <laughs> so, Terrific. Uh, thank, thank you. Thank you, Deborah. And thank yeah. you to all of the, all, all of the, the speakers. It, as you can see, it's a, it's, it, we, we, we tried to do a lot. We, 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 we went a little bit over here uh, in, in terms of, of the hour, but um, if you can hang out and I want to maybe the way to kick off the hangout, we'll, we'll close up the official, portion, but Beth, I know I cut you off, which I apologize for, so, and you can probably correct my, uh, my, my attempt at, at, at summarizing your, your project. So maybe um, if you want to just, um, uh, uh, and, and if, you, if you just want to uh, hold forth and as people, some people obviously will leave, but we can just chat. And I don't know how this is going to really work. It's a little bit of an experiment. I think people can take themselves off mute and, 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 and try to pipe up, or they can, I think you can raise your hand in, 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 uh, in, in the in the there is a um, in the in the zoom as well but anyway um, if you can hang out and we'll, we'll see how this works but but Beth maybe if you if you want to um, keep going uh, and, and and clarify anything I, I might have messed up no you're you're good David I, I won't spend time on that I'm gonna put my email address in the chat so folks can reach out if you want to learn more I'm happy to provide additional information materials um, so that we can uh, can keep pushing forward um, in the meantime, I thought I would leave us with, there is some data on CDFI, uh, CDFIs in round two of, of uh, PPP um, that is, uh, doesn't include round one, but in round two, uh, 302 CDFIs um, did 50,492 loans for $2.7 billion, uh, average loan size of $54,000. Um, and so I think it's, uh, you know, critical, the, the, what, what's, and that's just for, uh, for PPP. And I think what we have been stressing is that, you know, PPP has been an incredible uh, government program to support these businesses. We all need, we, know, we all know it needs reform, um, but it's been a, a product that has been pushed through these pipes. Um, but as we've been saying, that 2.7 billion is incredible um, for these, uh, incredible amount of volume for these CDFIs. Um, but there were $650 billion of allocation. So, you know, just to, to get a sense of, of scale, I think there's a lot of work to do uh, to, keep, to keep pushing that forward. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I've been energized by the conversation, excited to continue thinking about um, solutions in, um, like, like everybody has said, massive collaboration. I think um, we need 
none of us can get anywhere close to doing anything meaningful alone. Uh, and so really trying to find the strengths of all organizations, putting them together to row in the same direction um, to, to uh, try to attack this problem um, immediately and, uh, and for the next 30 years, um, because we know it's all needed. Great. So I'm actually going to, to have to jump, but uh, really appreciate the conversation, sending my email address right now, um, and look forward to continuing the conversation. Terrific. Thanks. Thanks, Great. Beth. Um, you know, I, I wanted to call attention to um, speaking of the parallel system that Bruce talks about and Deborah um, closed talking about innovation and infrastructure. But, you know, there's this whole network of sort of emergent small funds that are focused on, you know, very local businesses um, run by people of color, by natives, by women, um, you know, all of the uh, most uh, left out communities. So I'm, I'm thinking about um, uh, funds like the Runway Project, Boston Ujima Fund, Real People's Fund, um, Boston Impact Initiative, but there's really a lot of innovation happening there. Um, they uh, are shifting power to community members. They're creating um, investment tranches that allow community members to participate in some cases with as little as $50. And they also flip the um, investment terms. So they're favoring, uh, giving the more favorable terms to the most vulnerable uh, investors. And those that can take more risk may pay um, or get a, get a lesser rate. Um, so it's a really, it's a really interesting and I think um, vital uh, set of capillaries that talk about fragile, right? These are very new. Um, there's a fund, the Olamina Fund, um, Candide Foundations Fund, um, is, is supporting some of these new organizations with funding, but I think we need a lot more of that. Um, I think they're doing great work. They're very innovative, but there's not a lot of support behind them. And if CDFIs are fragile, these guys are super fragile um that's 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 very uh important and and i will say um amy's been terrific she 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 had a uh, has a uh, you, you may know her as at locavesting on, on on twitter and, and other places and had a terrific publication called locavesting which we noted for many years and then eventually tried to recruit <laughs> her to, to impact alpha last year um and um, there's a few folks who, who we've been chatting with over the course of the week um, that um, uh, kind of cold calling, you know, um, Thomas Vennon from um, uh, 18 East Capital, Andrea Armeni from Transform Finance, Rachel Riley from EIG, Adam Conacher from Rockefeller, Jacob Haar from um, uh, Community, I always get this wrong, Community Impact Capital, what is it? No. Sorry, CIM. I think um, if you're if you're still on and, and want to um, hold forth, um, uh, be our guest and anybody else as well. Don't wait for me to call, and you just I think you just take yourself off mute and start talking now. Yeah, hi, David Thomas here. Um, hi, David. Okay? Yeah, yeah. No, no. Look, it's uh, well, as you know, we were discussing a, a specific angle on the, on this issue. Uh, we, we tend to look more at, at emerging market, but certainly we, we think that the conversation is, is akin to, to the one around CDFIs. And uh, I just wanted to react to, to points made by both um, uh, Beth and, and James. 
around strengthening and, uh, and you know, freeing up uh, CDFI balance sheets. And uh, I think someone in the chat mentioned the, the use of guarantees. And, and we certainly see you know, the, the, this crisis as, as an accident, as a disaster. And, and the best way to, we think, protect these, these key, these crucial intermediaries is to provide insurance. And, and, uh, and the reality is that we, we know how to do that, uh, to provide credit insurance to, to, to intermediaries. Uh, now, obviously, as you, when you know that the accident is about to happen, it's a very strange moment to provide insurance. But because we are impact investors, uh, surely we, we, we shouldn't just uh, you know, stop doing the right thing because it's not the usual thing. And, and, and we do believe there are a number of very straightforward and very, and importantly, um, cost-efficient and, and reasonably quick-to-deploy tools uh, that can be utilized to essentially take risk off the balance sheets of CDFIs, allowing them to uh, do more, of course, but also just to weather the storm. I think what Jem said about the fact that their, you know, their clients are, are, are going to go through a horrible patch and that will put their own uh, financial stability at risk. And, and so the first order could be perhaps to just make sure the CDFIs are still there on the other side of this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just to be, just so pe people know, I think you're coming to us from Cape Town, no? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. So it's a bit later here. <laughs> um, anybody else uh, uh, want to pipe Laurie, up? Oh, hi, Lori. Hey, hey there. I just wanted to, to share two things, picking up a stream in the chat about local and the theme of, of place-based investment. And then how do we reconcile that with the, the, the notion here of, of aggregation? for the whole community. And um, we're about to publish a paper, I've had the privilege of working with Darren at Southern for the past couple of years on their last capital campaign that concluded pre-COVID. And we're just about to produce a paper that talks about some of the insights and lessons learned. And this, this was a, a capital campaign for equity, for, for that equity. And because whether you're a loan fund or a depository, you, the equity is what you really need as we've talked about in this conversation. And I would just say on the play space, you know, people are asking, why doesn't that resonate? Maybe it'll change, and I'm hoping that this initiative will help us change it. But we found for the, for the banks, who are, as we've talked about, a big contributor under at least historical CRA, it's all about where they see their own geographic footprint. So Southern operating in Arkansas and Mississippi, just frankly, not relevant to a lot of these guys, just saying not relevant, even though high-performing institutions, so that was the bank's reaction. Institutional investors, it's just too far away. So, you know, they just, again, Arkansas, Mississippi, these are not visible markets. They are not visible communities. And it was very difficult to get them to even react. And self-identified impact investors, I got to tell you, although they understood the place based, they went the opposite end, hyper-local. And they've picked their places and they've picked their places in advance. And there wasn't a willingness to look at Southern straight up. Now, with those three barriers, I got to tell you, every investor to an investor who visited the Delta, who came and visited us and went on a tour of the communities, every single one converted and came in to the deal, every single one. But getting somebody to come out, travel, take the three days to drive around the communities that Darren and team serve, um, you know, it, it is a big investment for someone to make. So it's, it, there's some lessons there about how do we bring that place. I don't mean, I'm using Southern as an example of the broader principle, obviously. But I think this aggregation notion is, is really where we've got to, to contribute our efforts because it's just, it's just too taxing on an individual transaction basis to get that capital um, singularly. So I, I, I just applaud where we're going here as a community, but I'll just tell you, 
the play space, let's not just assume it comes to life for people. We've got to make it come to life for people. I will say that um, uh, just, just speaking of uh, play space coming to life, I met Darren down in Clarksdale, Mississippi, um, and so have always had a soft spot in my heart for Southern and, and for Darren because it's an amazing uh, place to visit. And um, I just, uh, it's the, you know, people know it as sort of the birthplace of the blues and, and it just infuses the whole place. And so you can't go there and not come away thinking, oh, this, this you know, this is a place that, 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 that you'd love to see, um, you know, finance its, its own revival. I did read, I think recently that, you know, because it's so become so tourist based because of the juke joint festival and whatnot, um, that it's been hit super hard. So, um, uh, you know, hopefully Darren um, and, and his, his team are, are, are playing some role in, in, in helping out there. Hey, um, hey David, this, this is Darren, um, and I, I'm going to have to jump off as well to get on a call with the, with the Federal Reserve, but but one, one I want to thank Lori and thank you for visiting. Anyone else who'd love to come visit, we'd love to have you uh, and, and give you a tour when we're back open uh, for business, but you are right. Those communities that rely heavily on, um, on tourism, uh, they're, they're struggling right now, and, and we finance a lot of those businesses. They are, they are struggling. And Lori made great points about the difficulty in raising equity capital for banks. I want to just make one other thought uh, to, your, to your network here, particularly about depository CDFIs. Your deposits in a CDFI bank, they are safe, they are sound, we are a regulated institution, they're just, just as safe as they are in any other bank, uh, but they are having outsized impact. And as Beth made the point, we leverage those deposits 10 to 1 uh, at least. Uh, and so I would encourage you as a way to maybe step your toe on the water of investing uh, in a CDFI bank. If you're not ready to go all in with equity or PRI, your deposits uh, in a CDFI depository are very impactful uh, as well. And I'm going to have to jump off, but I really appreciate you having us and thank you for what you're doing. Somehow it makes me feel better, Darren, when you say you've got to get off to go talk to the Federal Reserve. <laughs> <laughs> They've invited um, us to be a part of that Fed listens today, which starts in five minutes. So I better jump off. At least okay, it's not great. Fox News. <laughs> it's not. Good luck, Darren. Thank you. I think there's a, a St. Appleton from in, in South Africa who, who raised uh, your, your hand. If, if you want to jump in, um, uh, just make sure you're off mute. Thank you, sir. How are you? How's everybody? <laughs> sure. Ah, there you yeah, are. Good. Are... Hi. Yes, yes, sir. Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thanks, thanks. Okay, thanks for this opportunity. We are coming from uh, SMMEs and cooperatives uh, within the integrated aquaculture space. So, yes, here in South Africa, it's easy to set up a, 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 a CDFI through uh, your reserve bank and uh, uh, the treasuries. But uh, uh, helping uh, the poorest of the poor to come from the ground is very, very, very difficult. So how can Impact Alpha you know, come together with us to take uh, 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 our poorest of the poor you know, in our townships you know, to, you know, whereby you know, uh, 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 treasuries and reserve uh, uh, bank can come in and uh, uh, take our people to a higher level. Please, I, I see Thomas is coming from uh, Cape Town. Uh, please, let's keep in touch. Let's see how we can help one another, brother, please. I thank you. I thank you. I'll send you my uh, email address just now. Or I'll wave at the window, see if you can see me. Yes, yes, I've just taken a, a bath as email and a, I think it's space. And so those are the people that maybe I will get a, a, everybody's contacts from. I think. Great. 
Great. And there are there is a, 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 a fairly vibrant um, impact investing community, I know, in, in South Africa. Um, and Thomas could, could help you. Uh, the Bertha Center at the University of Cape Town could, could help connect you as well. Um, and, and please do keep in touch and, uh, with us and, and, and let us know what we can do. Um, anybody else? Uh, any other hands up um, uh, or, or, or folks who want to jump in? David, this is this is Dennis. Um, hi, ah, good. Um, Dennis uh, Dennis Price, our colleague at, at Impact Alpha, who you, who I'm sure you've all seen his byline. Um, Cat Cat uh, at CNote mentioned um, some ways, and uh, Darren mentioned your deposits at CDFIs um, have impact. And I'm wondering other folks on the call. Um, and, and I know I know Bruce and Deborah agreed it wasn't just about product either. But like, what what are the ways that uh, retail investors um, can participate in uh, this relief and recovery or, or just sort of, you know, broad, longer term community development efforts. How do we get our own money in reasonable amounts into, uh, into communities? Anyone have any uh, recommendations, specific products, um, strategies, et cetera? So also like uh, obviously growing uh, uh, personal interests of mine as well. So um, happy to hear anyone who's taken that journey or, or, or um, has some ideas. I have money in C-Note. C-Note, which goes directly to CD. Right. Yeah, and we do both deposits and loan funds. So one of the reasons we realize technology not just helps get money more efficiently to loan funds, but that to Darren's and fantastic point, now is the time to really be moving deposits in banks and credit unions as well, working at some of the most uh, at-risk communities. Um, a couple other examples as well. So CDC Deposits um, works with communities, um, not many CDFIs, but still um, several strong community banks, um, and as well as Calvert Impact Capital Partners. So um, I love the question, and I agree with you. I think it really is a fantastic time if you're not um, working with the CDFI. The last thing I would say, because we've heard it so um, important and, and often on this call is, is um, grant, <laughs> you know, um, it's a great time to be calling up your local CDFI and asking, what can I do to help? Because, because a grant, because a grant could become that kind of sort of equity layer that could uh, leverage in, into more and more and more loans. Operating capital helps them. Yeah, it's needed on many fronts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was also um, some chatter on the, the chat about, um, equity crowdfunding. So there are sites like um, Honeycomb, Mainvest, uh, which focus on like real Main Street mom and pop type businesses. And then there are um, sites like WeFunder, which is terrific and has a wider range of um, businesses, but they've all created um, COVID relief and recovery mm -hmm. loan products that have lower fees for the businesses and anybody can invest in that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. May, I, may I jump in? Certainly. Sure. Yeah, so, um, well, thank you, Amy, for shouting out BII. I'm a member of that cohort, and a few of us were on, and we're, we're you know, I'm more of a deal guy historically, so I, I just like innovative approaches, so that, that's been a space for us to practice. But one of the things that um, has come up there, as well as what, what I've uh, reflected on, I think I put it in the chat earlier, is you know, I came out, I often called myself a recovering merchant banker, right? So when you think about that world and the structure and apparatus, you look at stuff like the CFA and the Association for Investment Management and Research, which basically 
is the industry standardization for how we think about all, you know, Wall Street publicly traded companies, right? So when I think about the continuum of impact investing and conscious capital, right, of which CDFI is a part, the blended capital funds that we're innovating and experimenting with are, to me, there is no standardization of how we think about that stuff. When we talk about, you know, whether it's true cost accounting or ESG stuff, right, or the sustainable development goals, how, you know, how can we get standardization across, you know, like-minded but diverse approaches to these problems if there's no body that, that affirms the apparatus and scalability of these varied myriad of products that could be integrated eventually on a shelf and I think about Michael Tanzi's work in the book he wrote around CDFIs in the capital markets. But I, I just, I would be remiss if I didn't bring that because I think we're all trying to be creative from the places that we sit to solve the problems. And, and you know, this moment allows us to recreate. So I, I, my question after all that long preamble is, are you all thinking about that as part of your work, the standardization? I mean, clearly you're talking about standardizing products and integrating and collaboration. But part of that is looking at this entire larger ecosystem and saying, look, you know, there's a new way to do business. The conscious capitalism folks have been documenting it. You all have been documenting it. We're doing our part in blended capital, which, as you said, is relatively new. But there is a larger continuum with which all of that fits. And I don't know who's speaking to that. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, that's what Bruce Katz was sort of hinting at as, as well. And, 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 and I think there's a lot more work to be done to sort of fill out what the, what the elements of that are. I know, I mean, we were, we, I, what I learned a lot in the reporting out of the, for this call was the, the CRF platform, which I hadn't really been aware of, which was, is, is, is a tech platform, again, that like sort of to Deborah's point that had been built up over the last, you know, 10 or so years, I think post, post great financial you know the last recession um and uh uh which which does provide you know some of the sort of infrastructure that can run roll ac across multiple institutions other folks have thoughts about sort of the you know broader network broader infrastructure common 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 basis um there's people popping up about uh you know accounting rules um you know um just, just to that point, I mean, we, we see it ourselves at Impact Alpha, you know, a lot of stuff comes in, you know, we try to keep it straight to, to sort of understand how it relates, you know, how the different parts, parts relate. Um, somebody popped up in the, in the chat that she had seen a, the ARIS uh, CDFI rating tool. I think that's um, Lisa Dyson um, on, on Impact Alpha. So, you know, at some level, you know, information is, is part of the infrastructure as well. Right. I'd like to hear from Dorothy Adams, Dorothy, if you're on, because you've been um, commenting a lot here, but also on our Slack channel. And I know you're doing some interesting work in Connecticut with, um, you know, collaborating with other CDFIs and creating funds. Not to put you on the spot. I think she just left. Oh, she nah. might have just left. Okay. Okay. Well, there's we, we we've got uh we we've got down to the the, the final sixty four here. It's like um it's like March <laughs> Madness or something. But um, uh uh, unless unless folks want to keep going, um, we can we can close it up. Or I'm happy to we're happy to hang out. This was as I said a little bit of an experiment just to see whether folks want to uh, 
want to have the the opportunity since you're all since you're all here. Is there anybody else um who's gonna who's gonna jump in? Just want to say thanks for having us, David and Amy. This is fantastic and a really important and timely conversation. Well, Kat, thank you. Great. Take care. This Good is to see you Can too. I just say one thing? Sure. Is, is there a way? There've been a lot of really interesting things talked about, but also in the chat box. Is there a way to capture that and share it, the things that have popped up in the chat box so they're not just go flying off into the night? Well, excellent question, Betsy. It's almost like you set me up. The, for, for starters, we will, we will uh, I'm told we can, we, can, we can share the chat. There, there also are these personal, you know, one-on-one -on -one, uh, messages back and forth, so we're going to have to strip those out. But we'll, we'll share all the resources and questions and whatnot. Yeah. That, but this is the, uh, the open space technology challenge actually which is how to keep it going and so the best way to keep it going is in is in the slack channel um we know that's kind of been difficult for folks to you know have multiple windows open and multiple you know everybody's getting messages on every platform maybe we understand all that we're we're right in the middle of that as well but our best effort so far is to roll it into the slack channel this one happens to be called community dash capital so um you can see in the brief and other places how to how to join up, um, uh, and we'll so we'll do sort of all of the above. We'll we'll we'll, we'll distribute the chat from the Zoom call, and we'll also plug um, some of it uh, straight into into the community capital uh, Slack channel. Great, thank you. This was terrific. Thank you. Last call here. Bar is closing. <laughs> yeah, that's, if, if you go to your chat the three dots on the right you hit save it'll save to your laptop david i have a question oh, if you didn't oh anybody can save it themselves i didn't quite realize that thank you oh uh, sorry i have a quick question if you don't mind david um i think um a couple of folks mentioned um the i think the need and the opportunity for new products um and i was wondering if anyone had anything specific in mind um, and i I, I mean, by that, I mean um, client-facing products. I understand that internally we can have other sort of like products and services that we do from like an investing perspective, but I mean, particularly from CDFIs and particularly for small businesses, what's, other, you know, what's up there other than loans? Um, forgivable loans, deferments, you know, what's, what, is there any innovation in that sense from like the client-facing product that is conscious and flexible? Well, I will say, I will say, uh, Manuel, that that you, if we had that question, you would be one of the ones we would actually call and ask that question too, because you're at self-help, aren't you? Yes, yes, I am. Yeah, <laughs> but we're trying to figure it out, and that's why I was wondering if, given that it's such a global, I don't know, I was trying to pick people's brains, see if, I don't know. I think, in that sense, being also sort of self-critical, I don't think we've been as innovative as we can be. I know that we try, I know that we constantly try and figure stuff out, but we continue to fall down the path of. Sort of traditional lending and that kind of thing and hopefully this is going to push us in the direction of more innovation in that sense so i wonder if we can take a leaf out of other sort of industries or whatever i think that's a that's a terrific topic for 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 another call and what, what we've been and, and and we probably didn't dig, dig in deep enough on this call is what kind of capital actually will meet the needs of, of businesses. Mm -hmm. So, so, so as I, you know, there's, there, as, as somebody mentioned, you know, the PPP kind of kept the, the payroll together for, for a sort of very short time. But now as folks open up, they've got a, a restaurant's got to redesign its floor plan and you got to have a new cleaning service. You've got to have, you know, now you're, you know, doing more 
takeout. So you need, you know, you need an online, you know, component. There's all kinds of things that, and at the same time, you got to invest in all this new stuff. You, all your revenues have been, you know, um, cratered, you know, for the last two months so that you don't have any money left. And so will, you know, will folks lend to you? Is it, is it a good, is it a good loan to make? I think, I think um, we don't really know how it's going to play out. So I think you're right about what are the new products that are not just maybe grants, but not loans that you basically may not be able to either qualify for or, 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 or even pay, necessarily pay back. Um, any, any other folks have any, have any, have any uh, specific thoughts on, on new, new products for, for businesses and, 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 and I guess nonprofits as well? Well, I just want to um, jump in here since this has been a discussion during the uh, School World Forum uh, where any of you are tuning in, it was all uh, virtual just uh, nearly two months ago. And what I had tried to uh, bring up in some of those sessions, especially those related to community finance, is the notion of, so given what's happened with the uh, pandemic, uh, given the loss of liquidity, that how viable may it be to have some form of a uh, mutual insurance mechanism, perhaps modeled after, um, if you're familiar with either a uh, building size in UK or a variation on the uh, Sparkassen in Germany. Actually, uh, the latter has been a case study in the uh, Center for Public Impacts, one of their uh, case studies. Uh, you can uh, look them up on the concept of Sparkassen. And secondly is uh, real assets that uh, could it even be uh, possible so i'm um, speaking emmanuel of uh, products for consumer side but how about even being able to uh, direct funds the things like uh, community infrastructures such as transit or even a park space or any nature-based assets just you name it anything that helps improve vitality of community and economy. So those are just two lines of inquiry that I'd like to put out uh, as suggestions for future chats and also to continue in the uh, Slack group as well. And uh, right now, just any additional responses. So um, Manuel, uh, do you have anything to add to that? Um, it's probably beyond me in that sense. Like I, I honestly don't don't feel equipped to answer your question. In my mind, I was thinking more taking it to answer sort of myself and divert from your question. So I don't, I can't answer it. I don't think I can answer it. Um, I do think it's, mind you, I will say yes. In my mind, though, it's more like the longer term approach. It's more about when you were talking about that. I was thinking resiliency. I was thinking yes. if one thing this has, I think, amongst other things, transpired is. Businesses are not well equipped from big corporate airlines all the way to your local grocer down the street. Like no one's equipped to survive this sort of thing. Um, but even this sort of thing, two, three weeks, a week, a month worth of not getting income or whatever. So I think you're referring to like the broader infrastructure in the longer term and Correct. providing the, yeah. And, but I, I, I still think that's long term. I'm still thinking of the emergency at the moment. So I was thinking, what if we could take a leaf out of the venture capital world with safe uh, or revenue-based financing uh, and something that's a bit more flexible, more riskier by traditional models um, that as we hopefully start re you know, going back to the economy, we could allocate. I don't know if anyone's done that in the micro level, in the very small businesses that don't have exit events, that don't plan to do IPOs. And so can you re repurpose those vehicles to the micro world 
while still keeping the flexibility and the risk portion of it without the growth. Anyways, that was, that, that's what I was thinking as, as well in my, um, I don't know if Actually, just I look went up, down the, the rabbit hole. Just look up this uh, company, uh, just um, had a good chat with uh, the CEO uh, this past Monday called uh, Epic Hub. If you've heard of them or have you not, uh, they're based in the uh, Netherlands, but they make investments around the world and they're a venture capital firm with uh, no exits required. Mm-hmm. that they're fully uh, revenue-based, so their entire returns are based on uh, a share of company revenue generation. Mm-hmm. Young Bill, you want to stick the, um, the, the, that name yes. or, or the a link in the, in the yep. chat? And, and just yeah. to introduce yourself, where are you, who are you with? Oh, so um, that's, uh, yep, my name is Young Bodu. I've been in various uh, capacities around sustainability and sustainable development for the last 15 years from research to social enterprise. And... Now, actually, and especially uh, thanks to this uh, reset uh, offered by a COVID crisis that now we're focusing on my life's work of uh, bringing uh, impact finance into uh, mainstream uh, practice, uh, mainly focused on uh, real assets, given just to set you some context. And it's, some, it's, the, I think it's a storyline that I feel hasn't been told all that much is that you have 400 trillion U.S. dollars of wealth in the world, half in real estate, half in liquid wealth managed. And to reach those SDGs uh, by 2030, 90 trillion needed, only a third committed to the loosest definition of pledge. And yet, if you count up all the infrastructure that needs expansion or replacement in the next decade, that's already north of 100 trillion. So there's no reason why we can't achieve those targets if we build those criteria directly into any form of new or upgraded infrastructure. Yeah, uh, the, stay tuned. We want to do a we want to do a 10x infrastructure uh, uh, call very very soon. So we'll, we'll be back in touch. Um, thank you to everybody. I think I think uh, this. I don't know whether we'll let, let us know whether you think this uh, hangout after the after the call worked. But it, but it, I think at least let let me kind of wind down. I always get very keyed up in these things, and then. Uh, it's nice to hang out with you all uh, for a bit uh, and, and wind down. So I'm sorry we didn't get to have a beer together, but uh, maybe maybe in a, in a, in a, in a future world. Um, I think with that, Zulema, Dennis, Amy, everybody on the Impact Alpha team, I think let's, uh, let's, let's call, it a, call it a day, right? Um, thanks to everybody for, for, for joining.